Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The I'm so excited, and I just can't hide it. Edition, as the Bengals look to advance to the AFC Championship game by knocking off the number one playoff seed in the AFC, the 12-5 Tennessee Titans. Coming up, I'll talk X's and O's with one of my favorite podcast guests, Greg Cosell from NFL Films and ESPN. My one-on-one player interview is with offensive lineman Quentin Spain. My broadcast partner Dave Lapham joins me to look at the injury concerns on the Bengals' defensive line. And in our Know the Foe segment, we'll hear from John Burton, a TV sports anchor and radio talk show host in Nashville. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Downloaded now from the App Store and Google Play. And by On Location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL. Visit onlocationexp.com for exclusive access to the biggest events in the NFL all season long, including Super Bowl 56. Here's a quick reminder that you could have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since Zach Taylor getting carded. C.J. Uzama appeared on Good Morning Football on the NFL Network on Thursday and shared a hilarious tidbit. When Zach Taylor showed up at Mount Lookout Tavern on Saturday to present a game ball to the fans after the playoff win over the Raiders, a bouncer asked to see his ID. Uzama said he learned that from Kevin Huber, who was an eyewitness. That tells us two things. That Zach has a youthful appearance, we already knew that, and that he's not spending a lot of time hanging out at Mount Lookout Tavern. Now, let's get to this week's guests. It's the Bengals and Titans this Saturday, and there is nobody I would rather talk to to preview the game than the great Greg Cosell from NFL Films and the NFL Matchup Show on ESPN. Greg, before the 2020 draft, you were nice enough to give me your printed-up notes about Joe Burrow, and I want to highlight three things that you wrote going into the draft. Number one, consistently precise ball placement. Number two, a quick processor of pressures and coverage. Number three, efficient pocket movement. Clearly, you thought that Joe Burrow had the chance to be an excellent NFL player. What do you think of him now and the way that he's playing? Uh, Well, you know what, Dan? Every once in a while, I guess right, you know? (laughs) And, And I mean, I really liked Burrow coming out. And I think, you know, one of the things I look for is when you see a player as a rookie, and obviously his rookie year was shortened, but he did play a good amount. When you see a player that shows the same traits early in his NFL career that he showed in his really strong college career, I always think that's a really positive sign. Because that, to me, particularly for a quarterback, that means that the game is not too fast for him, that he's still playing within his skill set and his traits. And I think that was pretty evident with Burrow a year ago. Obviously, the team wasn't quite as good, so there were some poor performances as a team. I remember one game against Baltimore where I think they lost maybe 30-7, to something like that, and they were just overwhelmed by pressure, but the team wasn't quite good enough. You know, now as the team has gotten better, obviously with Jamar Chase, um, defense, I think, is better than it was a year ago. Uh, So, but the point I'm making about Burrow is you saw those traits even a year ago. Uh, So I'm not surprised that he's sort of taken 
another step forward. He's a, he's, this is not an X and O statement, but there's just a calmness and a poise and composure to the manner in which he plays. He just navigates the pocket so well. He, he manages the pocket really well. And I don't know if you can teach that. You know, everybody now focuses on quarterbacks that can run out of the pocket because we're so used to seeing the greatness of a Patrick Mahomes, those kinds of plays. But no one really talks about the more nuanced and more subtle movement that's required within a smaller area. You know, an area that I sometimes describe as the size of a boxing ring, even though it might even be a little smaller than that. Let's talk about Jamar Chase next, because you also shared your pre-draft notes about Jamar, and you said... I loved him, so I can't wait to see what you say here. <laughs> well, here's what you said. He has the explosive playmaking dimension that all NFL teams look for. How has Jamar Chase changed the Bengals' offense? Anytime you have a vertical dimension, and by the way, they have two vertical dimensions, because T. Higgins can do that as well. He's a different player because of his length. So his stride length doesn't, doesn't make him look as explosive, but stride length is a trait for a wideout. But Chase is, is dynamically explosive, and he's also incredibly physical. I mean, think, much of this pass game, he runs a lot of in-breaking routes. So he works the middle of the field. But he also lines up predominantly as their boundary X, meaning the single receiver to the short side of the field. And this is where the tandem with Joe Burrow is so effective because Burrow is an aggressive mindset thrower. So even if a corner is an off coverage, they'll still run vertical routes. And whether Chase gets on top of the corner or whether they throw back shoulder fades, that depends obviously on the corner. And, and however they have that worked out, that just doesn't happen on a whim. But he definitely adds a vertical dimension. He adds a run after catch dimension. Uh, was it the Chiefs game in which he caught the 72-yard touchdown where he caught the quick little out route and he just burst? I mean, watching that live on television, uh, was it was unbelievable because that the speed with which he just broke away it was remarkable. So he he's a truly complete receiver and and he's super competitive. And I think that that is always something that, it can be really important. Do you have to be that guy to be a good receiver? Maybe not, but when you are, and I think that's one reason I made the comparison in my, in my evaluation to someone like Steve Smith, super competitive player, uh, Jamar Chase. And he's, uh, I guess there's not a lot of talk now about the fact that they maybe should have taken Penny Sewell, huh? <laughs> that definitely has died down. Has that died down a little bit? Just a, just a smidge. I took a lot of grief about that, Dan, you know, uh, People were telling me I was an idiot and I didn't know football. You know, you always should take an offensive lineman. And I just thought Chase was a special, special talent that there's not a, a lot of Jamar Chase kinds of players. Well, I'm one of the morons that said take Panay Sewell. So I'm very happy, very happy to have been wrong. We are chatting with the great Greg Cosell from the NFL Matchup Show on ESPN. Let's specifically talk now Bengals offense versus Titans defense. This is the number two run defense in the NFL. They've got a great front four. What do the Bengals need to do to have success on Saturday? Yeah, this is going to be a challenge for this reason. Uh, first of all, I don't anticipate that they'll run the ball really effectively. I still think, assuming the game is close, that they need to run with volume, but I'd be very surprised if Mixon has, you know, 20 for 140. But I still think they have to run the ball because I don't believe, which gets into the next part of the equation, I don't believe that their offensive line will be good enough 
to hold off that pass rush if they ha- if they ask Joe Burrow by choice to drop back 40 times or 45 times. Unless, of course, the score demands that. Um, and I think that's one of the key matchups in this game. The defensive profile of the Titans is four-man pass rush, multiple coverage concepts. They're not a high-percentage blitz defense. When they do bring a secondary player, meaning uh, the slot corner might come, David Long, the linebacker might come, it's still normally a four-man rush. It's what we call a four-man zone exchange. They don't really rush five an awful lot. Um, And this is a really good pass rush group particularly inside in their sub front where it's Simmons and Autry, two really, really good players. I mean, almost special players. Everybody knows about Simmons. Autry's been overlooked a bit. He played with Indianapolis a year ago. He's your classic case, a guy who lines up outside in your base and comes inside as a D tackle and inside pass rusher in your sub fronts. And he's a really, really good player. And you know what they're very good at? And this is this is homework now during the week for the Bengals and the coaching staff. They're really good at what we call TT stunts, tackle and tackle stunts, whether it's Simmons who goes first as the penetrator and Autry loops or whether Autry goes first as the penetrator and Simmons loops. They're really good at that. And it's very difficult to deal with. Last week's opponent, the Raiders, also primarily a rush four type team, although it's obviously somewhat different. But how did you feel the Bengals offensive line did last week? For the most part, I thought they did pretty well. Um, I actually thought that Jonah Williams had a a really solid game at left tackle. And quite honestly, Dan, and again, you know, all I do is talk about the tape. I thought he's struggled at times this year in one-on-one pass protection, and that'll be a big factor again in this game. But I thought Williams had a really good game. He predominantly worked against Ngakwe. I thought he did really well. Now, the quarterback helps there because Joe Burrow has such a great feel for timing, rhythm, anticipation. Rarely do you see Burrow sit in the pocket or get stuck in the pocket. Every once in a while, every quarterback does, but but Burrow's not that guy, you know, for the most part. Um, so, and plus he has very good movement skills. So, you know, rarely, I mean, Burrow does get sacked because he, and, and I know he got sacked a lot this year because I think he's one of those guys you know, I've, I've not talked to him, so I don't know what's exactly in his head, but I think he's also one of those guys that believes he can make every throw. And there are times he's just going to wait because he thinks, hey, if I just wait another beat longer, that throw will be there. And sometimes it's not. So he does get sacked. But I think this is a key matchup in this game because um, their O-line is and you know this is it's not a great pass protecting all line and there will be some negative plays you just hope that those negative plays don't result in turnovers let's turn to the other side of the ball the titans have a great running attack led by derrick henry it looks like the king will be back for the first time since halloween what must the bengals do on the defensive end well this is an offense that likes to run a lot out of base personnel whether they line up with two tight ends sometimes three tight ends they'll line up with a fullback So I've been giving this a lot of thought. We've seen the Bengals in their base defense this year primarily be a 5-2 front, five across with two stacked backers, Pratt and Wilson. Um, So the question to me is, is that what they're going to line up with? Because the one issue you face is when you have fewer bodies at the second level, and of course they can bring down a safety, which I think they'll have to, and basically play with a single high safety. So whether they bring down Bell or Bates, that's that's their call. Um, you know, I you don't want to get 
caught short at the second level because Henry gets to the second level and you don't want to be short bodies at the second level because then he's going to get to the third level and then you have a problem. So I'm really curious to see what they do. Now, you know, one thing that was interesting this past week, and and I kind of view the Raiders as a running team to some degree, they played a ton of nickel versus the Raiders when they lined up with, with multiple tight ends. I would be very surprised if they take that approach this week. I think you need the bigger bodies simply to tackle Henry. So I think you're going to see more of the 5-2 front, bring a safety down, because you need a lot of bodies around Derrick Henry. Because he's, we know Henry can take it to the house, but he's also the master of making a three-yard gain into a seven-yard gain. And then it's second and three, and you don't want to be in that situation all game. Final question for Greg Cosell, and I appreciate your time. What do you think of the Bengals' future and the young nucleus that they've built? Is this the tip of the iceberg for what Bengals fans can look forward to? Well, I think offensively, you'd have to be excited. They've got a very young offense. Um, you know, I think the O-line probably needs to be addressed in the draft, and they need to get better with more depth, more competition, so they can improve. But you've got your quarterback. You've got your wideouts. People forget about Boyd. He's not old. So, you, you know, you have three really good wideouts who fit extremely well. Um, you know, I, I've always liked Joe Mixon a lot. And, and you know, I never – I'm not one who, who tells coaches, you know, what I think they should do. I just remember Mixon in Oklahoma. I thought he was a great receiver who split out a lot. I would just love to see that more. But, you know, that's, that's up to them. I, you know, that's not a criticism. Um, so I think they have a really good group. Um, if they can get the offensive line to be a little better, I, I can't imagine why this offense won't be one of the league's best for a number of years. Um, defensively, um, I think they're going to want to get better at corner overall. I think a woozy had a solid year and he's not a young, I mean, he's not an older player. He's a young player. So I think you feel good about a woozy who at times they did match up to top receivers. I remember when they played green Bay, he matched up to Devonte Adams. So I think they probably feel he can do that. I think they're going to have to get better at the other corner spot going forward. Um, you know, Hendrickson had a really nice year for them, but I, I would, my guess is that they would believe that they need a little more from the pass rush. They're not, they're not a heavy blitz team, although they do increase pressure on third down, but overall they're not a team that you think of as, Hey, they're coming after you. So I think they would probably like to get another pass rusher, whether it's on the edge or whether it's inside I'm really intrigued by Hubbard's kind of ability, which I don't know if they'll do more of, maybe not this year, because it's tough to put all this in now, but I'm really intrigued by Hubbard's ability kind of as a joker player. We saw him do that this week where he got a sack, but they used did that on a couple of other occasions as well. I think he's athletic enough to be kind of that, you know, that kind of player. Uh, but, you know, I think they'll definitely look for a pass rusher. Greg, there's nobody better at studying the tape and making a complicated game a little bit easier for the rest of us to understand. So I really appreciate your time and keep up the great work. Dan, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Here's one thing to keep in mind when it comes to improving the pass rush next year. The Bengals will get Joseph Osai back from his knee injury. The third round draft pick looked tremendous in pass rush drills at training camp last year and in his preseason debut against Tampa Bay before suffering that injury. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. This year, Ultimate Bengals awarded a weekly winner during the course of the season with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences 
all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the App Store and Google Play. Up next, this week's one-on-one player conversation with one of the highest-graded players on the Bengals' offensive line this year, left guard Quentin Spain. Quentin, you spent the first four years of your NFL career in Tennessee. You started 48 games for the Titans. Does that add anything to this playoff game for you? Yeah, it's always going to add something to this playoff game going back to Tennessee. But um, when I was in Buffalo, I went back to Tennessee too. So I already got the revenge game, but it's still a, a chip on my shoulder that going back to where I started at. Visiting with Quentin Spain, you made your Bengals debut against the Titans last year at Paul Brown Stadium, and it was a memorable game because you famously signed with the team on a Friday and then played just about every snap on Sunday, even though you didn't know all of your teammates' names. What do you think that uh, showed your teammates and coaches in that win? It, it showed it showed my teammates and coaches, but my coaches that I was a like I was a pro coming in signing late. And plan what that that Sunday what one practice one walkthrough so it showed them that teach me the playbook I'm I'm a quick learner I can learn on the wrong fly so that's a good advantage that I have being in the lead like I don't feel like most people can do what I did. We're chatting with Quentin Spain. Quentin, you hurt your ankle in the next to last game of the regular season against Kansas City, it looked bad from the broadcast booth. Were you worried at the time that your season might be over? I, I was worried because I like I hurt my ankle and my knee. Mm-hmm. So I was feeling like they had both two injuries in one. So once I got back to the locker room and took x-rays, my ankle was hurting the most. So my I wasn't feeling my knee. So, but I know I hurt in my knee too. So most of the pain was at the ankle. So you forget about what the second pain that you worry about the most, the most pain. So it was my ankle. So that week off I had, I was getting like getting treatment at home cause I had COVID. So I had to stay home. I was rehabbing at home, getting ready, doing stuff for my ankles while they was practicing and playing, play Cleveland. So that's why I came back this playoff game cause I was taking advantage of my own rehab. Were the guys pretty excited when you were able to take part in that first practice the week of the first playoff game? Yeah, they, they was excited because I told them, like, my mindset is different. Like, it's playoff. I can't can't miss games, like, opportunities like that. So, I like, when I was at home, I was just attacking attacking my rehab So because I can't miss no games. They depended on me, and I depend on them, so I had to get back. Quentin, you've had an excellent year. You're ranked as one of the top 20 guards in the NFL this year by Pro Football Focus. Do you think it's been one of your best seasons? And what stands out to you about this year? Um, yeah, I feel like this has been a, a, a great season for me coming out the situation I had in Buffalo, leaving midseason. And Zach gave me another chance because last year after my exit meeting, I told Zach, like, this team, like, I told Zach the same thing I told on um, um, McDermott and Buffalo, like this team special and I want to come back. So when I told Zach that, I'm like, I really want to come back. I see a special team and, and you see what we're doing this year. So I'm happy he gave me an opportunity. You told reporters earlier this year that you thought the offensive line needed to bond more on and off the field. So you initiated the weekly Thursday night offensive line dinner. Do you think that had a big impact? 
Yes, that, that really had a big impact of the offensive lineman because I know we come to work every day and we hear, but we're not really bonding. We really at work, game planning and stuff. So I like I told the line, I'm like, everybody do this in the league on Thursday. You get away from football. I understand you see us all day, but it's special to see us outside of football, get to know each other better because at the end of the day, when we on the field, we plan for each other. So if I don't understand, like, don't know nothing about you, how can I trust you? How, like, all that stuff. So communication and the bonding and stuff we do on Thursday, I think it really helped. Cause you see, if you plug another guy in, we still communicate together. Cause we all at dinner eating and talking about family, what they, what we like to do, what like stuff we don't like and stuff like that. What have been some of your favorite spots? The, the, the favorite spot was uh, Jeff Ruby because I feel like Jeff Ruby is the best steakhouse in Cincinnati. But we've been to a couple spots. I took the guys to Roof Roof or uh, Roof Chris. And we've been in a lot of different spots that I never heard of. So every time we went, so I make if it's a good spot, I make sure I I write it down because I'll come back to it. <laughs> <laughs> We're chatting with Quentin Spain. You face the Titans on Saturday. This is a team with an excellent front four led by interior lineman Jeffrey Simmons. Describe number 98. And 98, he, he, he's, he's that guy. He's the ankle on that defense. He's physical, and he played to the whistle. And if you come, like, half-assing, he will make you pay. And, and it's not just him either. The, the whole front four, they have the whole the, – the, the front seven. They, 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 they attack down here. They stomp us, and they got 58 Landry on the outside. He's speed. He's speed, they got Dupree, he, he nice. So they they play as a unit and they play angry. So Mike Raven do have them playing the way he liked to play, physical. Your second year there was Derrick Henry's rookie year. What stood out about the King when you were blocking for him? When I was coming out of college, my last year, 2014, we, we played Alabama at the Georgia Dome. And Derrick Henry was running back. So everybody was saying, like, oh, he he ran too high. He he ain't going to make it in the league and all that. So when he first got to Tennessee when I was there, and I seen him, I'm like, bro, he, he he really big. So but when the season was going on, I seen him breaking tackles and people falling off him. He got breakaway speed and all that. But I'm saying, but when they was scouting him, recruiting, they saying that he, he ran too high. But in the NFL, he's still running the same. And then you see what he's doing. He, he producing. But I'm going to tell you a story about Derrick Henry, though. When I was in Tennessee, I was we was at practice. And we was, like, we was running a play. And I think we ran a draw. And he was running the ball. But when my I, I, I was blocking my dude and I turned around, and Derrick Henry was full speed right into me, right into my shoulder. So my whole right side went numb. <laughs> my whole right side went numb. And I knew that he run with power then, right then and there, that day. I'm like, yeah, he, he going to be a good bat. So even when you're blocking for him, if he hits you, it can be painful. Yeah, you would feel it. You would feel it. <laughs> so you blocked for the king in Tennessee, and now you're blocking for Joey Franchise in Cincinnati. You've been in this league for seven years. Are you amazed by what he's doing in year two? Yes, I'm. 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 I'm so amazed what what happened last year with him and how he attacked this all season rehab and came back and pit this great season he having. Like I'm just amazed how 
how he handled that because some people would would have folded. But I see it, Joey different. I can see it in his eyes every time he come to work. Like he, I feel like he on a mission. That's the type of guy I want. Like I'm on a mission. If I've been, I had a chip on my shoulder since I came in the league. So seeing that out of him, I'm like, I want to play for this guy. Last thing for Quentin Spain, you referred to your meeting with Zach Taylor, your uh, exit interview last year when you told him you wanted to come back. And I know you told your agent that you wanted him to get a, a deal done in Cincinnati, almost regardless of the amount. What are you going to tell your agent at the end of this year? They already, we, we talked about it. We talked, we, they, we put a bug in the air. We told them like, I want to be here. So at the end of the day, I want to be here. I want to finish my career here. So it's up to them if they want to keep me here, but I'm just going to go out every day and pit out good film. And just in case if they don't want me, somebody else will pick me up, but I want to be in Cincinnati. I told them that mid season, my agent told them that mid season. So we will see how things work. You've had a fantastic year. You've had an awesome impact on a young offensive line room. I certainly hope that you're back next year, and I appreciate your time today. Best of luck against the Titans. All right, thank you. Quentin signed a one-year deal for about $1.1 million last year. He'll turn 31 next year in training camp. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by On Location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL. Visit onlocationexp.com for exclusive access to the biggest events in the NFL all season long, including Super Bowl 56. Now time to discuss the Bengals' latest news and some keys to Saturday's game with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap, let's start with the state of the Bengals' defensive line. As of Thursday morning, Trey Hendrickson appears to be back. He was full go at practice on Wednesday. We know that Larry Ogunjobi is out. Josh Tupo limited at practice on Wednesday because of his knee injury. They have signed 335-pound eight-year vet Zach Kerr off the Cardinals practice squad. That means he is on the active roster. He's wearing the number 69. They have also signed former Miami Redhawk Doug Costin to the practice squad, so he could get promoted for the game on Saturday. He has started in the past for Jacksonville. So after hearing all of that, what is your concern level for the Bengals' defensive line going into the game in Nashville? Well, you know, the thing is, I, I'm, I'm figuring that uh, a big part of the game plan or any a part of the game plan was going to be play that five-man front that they've played pretty successfully against teams that run it so well. Um, and, and they did it against Baltimore initially, unveiled it, and um, really did a good job of, of controlling not only pass rush lanes but running lanes, you know, for Lamar Jackson. So uh, hopefully that they'll have enough players in a rotation now to be able to use that look. And it's not something that you live in every single snap, but it's nice to be able to go to that. But when you go to uh, three defensive tackles in the game at the same time, that's, that's eating snaps up, you know, for, for three guys. So you like to have some numbers there from a rotational standpoint. And uh, hopefully with these signings that you just referenced, that, that'll give them uh, that, that type of a rotation. And, um, you know, that that's going to be, I think the biggest uh, key to the football game obviously is, is the way that uh, the way that they can run the football. I mean, the Tennessee Titans, it's, it's no secret. And it's going to run, 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 run it again, you know, and then play action pass, naked boots, um, you know, things, things of that nature. Uh, so, but it all starts, their offense starts first and foremost with running the football, whoever it is, it's going to be running it. Can Zach Kerr join the Bengals on a Wednesday with a playoff game on Saturday 
and have a significant impact? I think he needs to channel his, uh, his inner Quentin Spain. <laughs> Quentin Spain last year in the regular season did basically exactly that uh, with the offensive line. And honestly, Dan, there's more to learn uh, schematically, you know, from an, with an offensive line standpoint. I'm not saying that there's nothing to learn defensively, but there's less. There's less to learn, and it's more of a reactionary thing. Whereas in the offensive uh, line, you know, you're going to, you have, you initiate things that defense responds to. So there's a little bit more sophistication to it and a little bit more terminology formations, you know, all these different things to learn and assignments um, based on fronts that you present and all that defensively, you know, there's only so many places a defensive tackle can line up and so many responsibilities that he's going to have. So again, it's a reactionary thing. I think he's probably uh, in, in as good a football shape as you can be in. I mean, he was just on a roster. He hasn't had a whole lot of playing time, but he's been at practices. And I mean, he's, he's in football shape. He hasn't gotten out of football shape. So hopefully he has the impact that Quentin Spain had in that game last year when they had four new offensive linemen starting and, uh, and they beat the Tennessee Titans 31 to 20 and Quentin Spain was a big reason why. And hopefully Zach will be a big reason why they, uh, they hold the fort down in the running game in this one. All right, more on that offensive line game in a little bit, but let's get back to the Titans rushing attack led by Derrick Henry. All indications are he will be back. He hasn't played since Halloween because of a broken right foot. Derrick Henry is 6'3", 247 pounds. He hit 21.8 miles an hour on a touchdown run this year against Buffalo. That is the sixth fastest time of any ball carrier in the NFL. Again, he is 247 pounds. I want to put this into perspective. If we remember Jamar Chase's 72-yard touchdown catch, where he seemed to run away from the whole team, Jamar right. Chase hit 21.7 miles an hour on that run. Again, Derrick Henry hit 21.8. How do the Bengals defend Derrick Henry and the other good running backs that the Titans have? Well, I think the difference between Derrick Henry and Jamar Chase is Jamar Chase can get to that 21.6 or seven miles an hour faster. Derrick Henry, it takes him a while to get to top speed because because of his size. Mm -hmm. That's there. Oh, baby. I mean, you've got, you know, we always talk about size speed ratio stuff. This guy sets a new standard. I mean, that is ridiculous. And again, they've got uh, that this, this franchise has a history and tradition of it. Earl Campbell could do the same thing. Eddie George could do the same thing. The bigger backs of their generation but could run you over and then run away from you as well. And those guys are rare. And, and they got another one uh, in this big old beast. Um, and, and honestly, just his presence is going to give that team a shot, a, a boost of confidence, adrenaline, uh, enthusiasm. I mean, they, they're going to feel like we got our superhero back. We're, we're almost invincible. You know, no, no matter how many times he carries the football, the fact that he's in pads on the sideline and at any point in time is a threat to go into the football game, that gives an offensive football team an enormous boost. There is no no two ways about it. So it is going to be interesting, Dan. I think I, I personally believe that he's they're going to just 15 to 18 carries. I don't think they're going to overload him. Um, I don't think they're going to put it on his shoulders and say, we want to lose a game because of you, Derrick Henry. That that would be too much. I mean, you know, he hasn't uh, hasn't really done much since trick or treat. So, you know, <laughs> like, 
you got you got to give the guy an opportunity to to work his way back into it and their mindset is probably okay we're going to we're going to survive in advance we're going to the super bowl we want derrick henry throughout the entire process here we don't want him for just one football game if we overwork him overload him and he starts favoring that foot a lot of times when you come back from an injury you start to favor it even almost subconsciously and then you get an injury somewhere else you know because you're running differently maybe you pull a calf muscle you know maybe you you, you uh, do something else to to your leg or, or whatever the case may be so I, I think I don't think they say all right you're going to hammer the ball 25 30 times this football game because they have two other guys who performed well and they could have a nice rotation and a, a three-headed monster and I think that would be you know something that would be a challenge to the Bengals as well but Man, when Derrick Henry gets the football, Dan, you can't let him get to that top end speed. I think the biggest key is make him make his first cut either in behind or at the line of scrimmage, worst case scenario. If he gets past past the line of scrimmage into the linebacker level before he has to make his first cut, oh, Nelly, now you got something really tough. And I remember when we were playing big, great backs, the coaches would always say, look, make him, don't allow him to square his shoulder pads to the line of scrimmage. Make him run to the sideline. Make him go east and west. Make him put his shoulder pads facing the sideline, not facing north and south, and him running north and south. You don't want that. Then you got a handful. Make everything east and west. Make him look east and west. His pads look east and west. He runs east and west. Make him go sideline to sideline. Don't let that son of a gun go downhill on you. Then you got a tiger by the tail. Let's move on to Ryan Tannehill taken eighth in the draft by Miami the year after the Bengals drafted Andy Dalton. He's been a good NFL player. He's in his 10th year. He's 33 years old, went to the Pro Bowl a couple of years ago, led the NFL in passer rating. But he's been a little inconsistent this year. What do you think of Ryan Tannehill? Yeah, I think inconsistent's a good way to put it, Dan. I think he's streaky. Um, you know, the, the plus on him, uh, he didn't throw as many touchdown passes this year as last year. He was well into the 30s last year, but he had – seven rushing touchdowns last year and seven rushing touchdowns this year His seven rushing touchdowns tied for 14th in the NFL. And he's a quarterback. So here's a guy that, you know, quarterback sneak naked boots, keepers, you know, those kind of things. He can hurt you because of his athletic ability. I mean, he can run. He was a wide receiver for a year at Texas A&M and not just a guy to fill a roster spot. He was a guy that was an all conference type wide receiver. So, you know, he understands uh, when wide receivers are running routes. Talk about being able to get on the same page. Here's a guy that's thrown it and run routes at a very high level, you know. And uh, sometimes receivers that have played quarterback see the, uh, the, it through a quarterback's eyes. Well, how many quarterbacks can say they can see the game through a receiver's eyes because they played receiver? I mean, this guy did that. That's, that's a rare deal right there. So I think, you know, as far as the mental part of it, it's it's all there. A pre-med student, smart as a whip, you know, football intelligence, all of that. Um, but but when he'll have streaks where, you know, he turns it over. 14 interceptions, fumbled the ball 10 times, put it on the ground, lost four of them, 18 giveaways. That, that's a, you know, turnover machine at times. And uh, in the, the one and three stretch they had in those three losses, his team turned it over 13 times and no, no, uh, no takeaways. They were minus 13 and he was a big part of that. So, um, you know, which, which Titan team is going to show up the one that's going to take care of the ball 
from a Bengals standpoint, hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully it's the uh, Titan team that, uh, that is, is generous, you know, and, and they, they're charitable. It's a charitable Saturday, <laughs> Saturday afternoon down there in, in Nashville, and they give the Bengals some uh, extra, extra possessions and extra opportunities. I think that is the biggest uh, factor. I think the Bengals have to take the football away to win this football game. And it's been pretty remarkable lately because the Bengals haven't turned it over in five games. Joe Burrow has gone his last five games without throwing an interception. Uh, Paul Dana Jr. pointed out a great stat. Five straight games for Joe with a passer rating over 100 and no interceptions. That's the longest streak like that ever in Bengals history. Yeah, 180 attempts without an interception. The only guy that has more that's still alive and playing uh, from a streak standpoint is Aaron Rodgers. He's number two to Aaron Rodgers in terms of taking care of the football in that regard. So, um, you know, he had his issues uh, during the course of the season as well, but he's, he's really hit a, a stretch now where I think, um, you know, he's, he's totally confident that he's going to take care of the football and, and uh, the Bengals have really played well. Obviously when you're playing like that, the quarterback doesn't have to take as many chances. You know, it's not, I, I, I got to, I got we don't have that many possessions left. I got to try to fit it in this hole and normally wouldn't maybe try to do that. But, you know, like we always talk about every interception, there's a story behind everyone. And uh, here lately, there hasn't been any story uh, for interceptions. The Bengals have played well as a team. And it starts with the, the level that Joe Burrow is playing at, which is extraordinary, extraordinarily phenomenal (laughs) (laughs) yes it is and let's talk about offensive strategy uh playing off that the titans are number two in the nfl in run defense at least in terms of yards allowed per game 84.6 number 25 in the nfl in passing yards allowed per game 245.2 now that's not always the best gauge because sometimes you give up a bunch of passing yards when you have a big lead the titans are number nine in the nfl in passer rating allowed so having said all of that is this a let joe burrow throw it a bunch and try to win the game or do they need a healthy mix of mix in i don't think they can abandon the running game as such but i I would not be surprised if it's slanted heavily toward the pass and probably rightfully so uh on first and second down the, the the titans to me look fairly standard defensively that might be the better downs to throw on Uh, might not be great downs to run on because they are so good. And then you find yourself, if you don't perform well running the football in first, second down, you're playing right into their hands in this third and long. And on third down, never mind third and long and third down in in general. I mean, they, they, uh, they mix it up. They do, they do a great job on, on third down. Um, They'll, they'll play some man, they'll play cover one, they'll play some man. They give, they'll play cover two. They give multiple looks of cover two. They disguise it really well. They're not a real heavy pressure team, but when they do decide to pressure, they give you some exotic, you know, unorthodox looks. So third down is, is a down that you want to, particularly third and long. If you're in third down and it's third and four or less, three or less, that, that's not that bad a situation. But if you're looking at third and five or more, they only allow 36.7% conversion on third down sixth best in the league. So you, you, you want to avoid, I mean, in a perfect world, you'd play so well on first and second down that you only have to try to convert, you know, seven first a third downs on the game. You don't want to be in a scenario where you have to try to convert 15 or 16 of them 
you know, and, uh, and, and now if you only, if you convert less than a fourth of them, you know, you're looking at a tough dynamic there. So uh, I think first and second down success is going to be big. And that's where I'd mix my uh, run and pass game up on first and second down. I certainly wouldn't fall into a habit of I'm going to run it on first down, run it on second down and throw it on third. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta have a good healthy mix there in, in terms of play calling. And, and, you know, I, I think, I think another big key to this game, Dan is, is uh, like in, in playoffs, everything gets emphasized and, and uh, more heightened. You know, Zach said in the red zone uh, in the last game against the Raiders, he never really found his rhythm. I think not only for the players, but for the play callers, Zach and Lou Anarumo, find a rhythm from a play calling standpoint as early as you can in this football game. And I think the coaching staff and the play callers that find that rhythm the, the soonest puts their team in the best chance to win, obviously. So you referenced the Quentin Spain game earlier when the Bengals beat the Titans at Paul Brown Stadium last year, 31 to 20. Here was the starting offensive line that day. The starting left tackle was then rookie Hakeem Adeniji. The starting yep. left guard, a guy named Shaq Calhoun, who had a very brief Cincinnati Bengals career. Billy I Price started at center. Alex Redmond started at right guard. Big Fred Johnson started at right tackle. After the first series, Shaq Calhoun got benched. Quentin Spain came in. He had signed with the team two days earlier. He was introducing himself to his teammates in the huddle. And they played great and won the game. Joe Burrow wasn't hit. He wasn't sacked. He had a passer rating of 106.7. They actually had a decent running game. Joe Mixon was out. Giovanni Bernard and Samaj Piran combined for 94 yards. So if that line held up against Tennessee, uh, last year at Paul Brown Stadium, should this line be able to do a decent job? You, you would think so. You know, I, I do think that this Tennessee uh, Titan defensive line is is uh, is very very solid. Uh, <laughs> to be conservative, I guess, uh, with praise, Jeffrey Simmons, I think is a is a is an outstanding interior defensive lineman. I think Aaron Donald's the only guy in the league I think that that is more disruptive and athletic and and uh, makes you lose sleep the night before the game more so than this guy. Uh, Autry is a, is a good rusher, obviously. Um, you know, they, they've got – they have three, uh, three guys that have at least eight and a half sacks. Landry has 12, Autry has nine, Simmons has eight and a half. That, that's, pretty, that's pretty balanced and pretty, pretty good scenario there. So I, I think this offensive line will be challenged, uh, but I do think that uh, – I think Frank Pollock, has done a great job of developing guys. Um, you know, I, I look at Isaiah Prince and from training camp to now, man, he's come a long way. He really has. And his confidence, I think, is very, very high. I thought that he played very well against Crosby last week. And I, I think I thought Jonah Williams basically erased Ngakwe, who's a you know a great rusher as well. So I think they're coming off some game a, a game where they can have some momentum going into this football game. And then it's going to be up to the interior guys, you know, hold down the fort against Simmons and, and see how that, uh, how, how, how all that shakes down. But uh, that, that's going to be the key to the game, Dan, is how well, um, you know, both, both lines pass protect because both lines, uh, both offenses have had their trouble in terms of giving up sacks. We know the Bengals have given up 51, uh, excuse me, 55 now. Uh, 30th in the National Football League. Well, you know, you look at the Titans, they've given up 47. They're 27th in the NFL. So, you know, both both of the, these offenses 
have given up their share of uh, pressures and hits and sacks on their quarterback. I think that's going to be a big factor in this football game who can protect their guy. Joe Burrow's vibe since the victory over the Raiders, beginning with the post-game news conference, has been, we've got bigger fish to fry. It was a great win, but as he said earlier this week, one playoff win is the bare minimum around here going forward. What does Joe Burrow's confidence mean to the Cincinnati Bengals right now and going forward? I think it means the world. I really do. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, and it's always, it's always the biggest. It always shows itself more so than any, any time it builds during the course of the week, you know, his teammates see how he prepares. They see how he has all the answers to the test uh, that he, that he's ready to play. But then there's no substitute for game day when you go out in the football field and the huddle for the first time and you look at the quarterback's face, you don't see one ounce of fear, um, you know, apprehension. All you see is a steely-eyed, confident guy that's going to take you to the promised land. And, man, that makes you feel so good as an offensive lineman, you know. There's nothing more disconcerting to look at the quarterback and he looks at you and it's like, ooh, I'm not sure about this one. You know, that, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. And, uh, and Joe Burrow is just the opposite of that. I mean, Joe Burrow is, is somebody that, you know, he, he's so confident. And it's an earned confidence. And then everybody feeds off that confidence. And they increase their self-confidence. So it is. It's a huge, huge deal. And the big trickle-down effect. And uh, Joe Burrow, that's the, the tangible aspect of it. You still have to be able to play. And this dude can play. And then the intangible of, you know, all of that that we just talked about, I mean, I mean, he's, he's got it all. That's why he's, uh, that's why he's Joey B. Good. Last thing, Lap. Last week, the Bengals broke their 31-year playoff drought. You played in the Bengals' first ever playoff win, and they had something of a playoff drought going into that. They had lost in 1970, 73, 75. They got over the hump, beating Buffalo in 81. Then you won the Freezer Bowl and went to the Super Bowl. Any similarities between then and now for you? Yeah, there is, Dan. There's, there's a lot of similarities. Um, you know, you look at it, it's crazy. Joe Burrow is the youngest quarterback to ever win a playoff game in franchise history. There's only been three head coaches that have won a playoff game in franchise history. Forrest Gregg, our coach, in the 81 Super Bowl season. Sam Weish in the 88 Super Bowl season. And now Zach Taylor. Um, and, and I remember... That was, that was specifically one of our goals. Let's be the team to win the first playoff game in franchise history. And we did it. Let's be the team to win the first AFC championship in franchise history. And we did it. Let's be the team to win the first Super Bowl. Eh, didn't do it. <laughs> but but we, we, uh, we climbed the ladder of success a couple of runs there, you know, and got closer. And I see similar, okay, this team hasn't won a playoff game in 31 years. Let's be the team to stop that drought. They did it. You know, let, let, let's be the team to advance and, and, and win the first playoff game on the road. Why don't, why don't we be the first? Why not us? You know, to, to move on with CJ's uh, slogan. You know, it's like, why not us? Why not this football team be the first one to go on the road and win a playoff game? 0-7. Uh, that would be, you know, that would be something to really hang your hat on. You, you end the 31-year drought. And then you, you 
of the first team in franchise history, a proud franchise over 50 years in existence, and you go on the road and you win a playoff game for the first time ever, you, you're, you'll always be in, in history. The, the, I mean, nobody's ever going to be able to – nobody can tie it. Nobody ever, ever able to take it away from you. That's what we liked about the fact uh, the first team to win a playoff game. Nobody can tie it. We're the only ones to do it, you know. Nobody can tie the fact that we were the first team to win an AFC championship. You can win other championships, AFC championships, but nobody else can be the one to do it the first time. All that stuff's significant, meaningful, you know, and that's why that's why you play the game. And I think these guys, you know, they they don't they don't like to listen about, oh, 31 years in a row, haven't won a playoff game. Oh, geez, haven't won a playoff game on the road. Oh, and seven. They, they don't they don't worry about that. You know, it's not their history. Their history. They want to stop that 31-year streak of losing, and they want to be the first team to win on the road in the playoffs. And I think they get a hell of a chance doing it. Finally, it's time for this week's Know the Foe segment. Many years ago at a TV station in Syracuse, New York, I worked with a guy named John Burton, who is one of my all-time favorites on and off the air. He's a sports anchor and talk show host in Nashville now, and he joined Lap and Me this week to preview Saturday's game. I started our conversation by asking John if Derrick Henry will play for the first time since breaking his foot on Halloween. Yeah, not official yet from the Titans, but it's a fait accompli. Derrick Henry will be available. He will play uh, Saturday uh, in the playoff game. He's looked good at practice. He actually could have been available had the Titans had a game this weekend or even the previous weekend in the regular season finale. So, yeah, he is uh, he, the king is, is ready to go back on his throne. He's primed up, ready to go. And the good thing about it is he'll have some help because Dontrell Hilliard and Deontay Foreman have both extremely well in the Kings' absence. You know, the Titans are 6-3 and three without Derrick Henry this year. And if you had told me that the day he got hurt Halloween up in Indy, I was there for that, I would have said no way. Yeah, the Kings got a court, man. He's got a couple of people that can, that can help him there. And the thing about Derrick Henry, you know, it's like, all right, well, he's rested. And he's, uh, you know, ready to roll. He can take take a lot of hits and dish out a lot of punishment. But is he rusty? Well, this guy's work ethic and his conditioning, from what I've read and understand, his conditioning and the way he takes care of himself and how he pushes himself is second to none. So he'll be ready to roll, won't he? He will, Dave. I tell you what, if you want to, you know, go on YouTube and just type in Derrick Henry workout. Right. I mean, his workouts right. uh, broke the Internet over the, over the summer. That, this guy works extremely hard and all reports are is he's been really really grinding to get ready for this playoff run so he'll be ready he'll be a little rusty hasn't been hitting you know almost 10 weeks so that'll be a factor there but i i think after you know a couple of carries he'll get back into his groove and again like we said like you said dave he's got a court behind him so if he struggles early you put in deontay foreman or dontrell hilliard and uh you know you give him a rest here and there and you put him right back in there so this could be that three-headed monster that we saw with the Giants back in 2008. Remember that? Oh, yeah. With Brandon Jacobs and Derek Ward and Ahmad Bradshaw. Yep. I could envision that for the Tennessee Titans uh, during this playoff run. Interesting. We, we are talking to John Burton, who covers the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee has used 91 players this year. That is a record for a non-strike season. So they've had a ton of injuries. But it looks like a bunch of these guys have come back just in time to face the Bengals on Saturday. Is that more or less the case? Yeah, it is. It's as healthy as they've been all season, Dan. You know, I mean, 
you think about the guys that have missed significant time, well, they're all, you know, healthy and ready to go. And the good news is their quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, has managed to stay healthy all year. Been a little bit banged up. He's been hit a lot this year, way more than he was last year. But he's healthy and ready to go. And you mentioned the fact that they've used so many players, 91. Uh, that's a credit to the head coach, Mike Vrabel, who I think along with Zach Taylor should get you know, significant run for head coach of the year because Vrabel's ability to get these new guys in the lineup, coached up, and ready to play and prepared, it's been, it's been phenomenal this year because these injuries and illnesses that this team has went through this year would have crippled most teams. But this is a sturdy organization with a, with a firm winning culture, and I think that's rubbed off on these players. So i got to give Vrabel a lot of credit for keeping the ship afloat. This, uh, this Titan team, it, just like every team in the NFL, has been streaky. I mean, they go 8-2 and two in their first 10 games, and they beat you know, some pretty darn good football teams in those eight victories. And they went 4-3 and three down the stretch, and they lost to teams like the Houston Texans. And, you know, the Patriots and Steelers made the playoffs, but we Steelers, Bengals fans know Pittsburgh's not the Pittsburgh Steelers team of old. What, why? Why the discrepancy? Why the you know? Why they're so good and then maybe not so good? And is there any concern that they're going into the playoffs not playing as well as they did at the beginning of the season? I can sum it up in one word, Dave: turnovers. They went through a streak where they were turning the ball over at an alarming rate. They yeah. turned the ball over five times in the Texans game. Then the next week they come back, they get blown out in New England. They commit four turnovers. Uh, they had, I believe, four turnovers in the Pittsburgh game. For whatever reason, you you know this, Dave sacks, turnovers, these type of things come in bunches, but as long as they're taking care of the football, and they did a better job of that down the stretch, they won that big Thursday night game against San Francisco where they came back, they didn't turn the ball over in that game. Uh, the Texans game, even though the defense fell asleep, you know, they had a 21 uh, nothing lead, and then the defense fell asleep, uh, the Texans were able to score 18 straight points, but Tannehill was able to keep the offense on schedule with no turnovers. As long as they're taking care of the football, You've seen it, guys. They can beat anybody in this league, but when they're turning the ball over, they become really susceptible. We're chatting with John Burton from Nashville. You brought up uh, Mike Vrabel, who's been great in his four years with the Titans. He is best friends with UC head football coach Luke Fickle, going back to their playing days at Ohio State. Luke Fickle, as anyone here knows, is a wrestler at heart. He's tough. He's no nonsense, no excuses. Does that basically describe Mike Vrabel? No question about it. And here's the thing, Dan. The players really relate to him because he's a pretty darn good player in the NFL. He won, what, three Super Bowls with the Patriots. Uh, He went to Kansas City late in his career and made first-team All-Pro. I mean, he's a been-there, done-that kind of guy. And he is a no-nonsense guy. One of the things about Vrabel is that he, he revealed this a couple of weeks ago. The biggest thing about him is he said, I learned not to panic when things come up, injuries, COVID, whatever we're going through, and that's rubbed off on his players. And you're right. He's a guy that uh, is a no-nonsense guy. He is a guy that is a straight-up, tell-it-like-it-is uh, type of type of guy, and he's, he's a player's coach because he can relate to these guys. So uh, he's been a perfect fit here in Tennessee, him and uh, the GM, John Robinson, because, you know, they are developing what they're calling the Titan way. And, you know, you hear coaches with catchphrases all the time. You know, Mike Tomlin has the standard is the standard and whoever else you want to name. Vrabel's biggest catchphrase, his biggest mantra is effort 
and finish. If you play for Mike Tomlin, I'm sorry, if you play for Mike Vrabel, I should say, you have to display those two qualities each and every day you go out on the field, whether it's in practice field or on game day. Effort and finish, and these players are bought in. Yeah, you know, I, I believe a football team takes on the personality of the head coach, and I look at this football team, and I see a physically imposing football team. you got a 250-pound running back. You have two receivers that are 220 pounds. You have, you know, Taylor Lewan in the offensive line, Jeffrey Simmons in the defensive line. I mean, this is a this is a very very physical football team that does play with high energy and effort and does try to finish you every snap. I mean, is this from a physical standpoint just you know a boy walking in the lobby of the hotel? Ooh, man, these guys look pretty good. Yeah, yeah, they pride themselves themselves, Dave, on on their physicality. And you mentioned the guys uh, that uh, you know their size and their speed and their strength. You look at a guy like Jeffrey Simmons. I think that guy's just maybe a notch to a half notch below Aaron Donald. I think right, he's right. poised to become maybe one of the most dominating interior defensive tackles uh, in the National Football League, yep. and he plays physical. Their middle linebacker, David Long Jr., he's a physical guy. Kevin Byard, he has that combination, you know, the, the, the all-pro safety. He has that combination of physicality and finesse and a knack for finding the football. Yeah, physicality certainly is their calling card, and it does start with Derrick Henry and that offensive line. You know, they want to come off the ball, smack you right in the face, and, and impose their will. So the all-important third phase uh, gets neglected. You know, the bigger the game, the less it gets talked about. Special teams, hidden yards, field position, all that sort of thing. How have uh, special teams, and, and specifically the kickers and the kicking game, how's it performed for Tennessee this year? They've both been solid, Dave. You know, Randy Bullock's come in. This, this organization's had a bad, bad run of luck. Uh, with kickers ever since uh, Ryan Suckup left. And they finally have that uh, stabilized with Randy Bullock. He's been fantastic. I think he's only missed maybe three or four kicks all year. Brett Kern, their all-pro punter, one of the best punters really in NFL history. Uh, his consistency with pinning uh, teams deep inside the 20 and most times in, inside the 10 has been pretty significant. And Chester Rogers has done a nice job in the return game, especially on punt returns. You know, he's, he's had some big punt returns this year to set up scores. So, yeah, that's, you're right. That is the ignored phase, especially now in the playoffs. But the Titans, a big reason why they're 12-5 and five in the one seed, you can't ignore the special teams. Uh, on the whole, they've been solid for this team all year. I'm sure Bengals fans just heard you say Randy Bullock yeah, has been right. fantastic and say, what, what did he just say? Really? Because, uh, because Randy was not necessarily fantastic with the Bengals, although he wasn't terrible. His, his uh, errors were uh, exaggerated. But in any case, it's going to be an awesome game on Saturday, a tremendous atmosphere. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to, to seeing you, my friend. Man, it's going to be fantastic. Like you said, I'm really looking forward to it because the Bengals, I love these young, hungry teams that – you know, go in with the mindset of, hey, why not us? And that, that's how I feel about the Bengals. And, of course, the Titans feel like it's their year. It's going to be a battle on Saturday. Can't wait for it. Our thanks to John Burton. And for much more on Saturday's game, join Lap and me for the Bengals Pep Rally Show Friday afternoon from 3 to 6 on ESPN 1530 or on the iHeartMedia app by searching for ESPN 1530. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play, next-level fantasy football game. And we're also presented by On Location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. 
That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.